0: We turn then to Proverbs 22, the verses read a moment ago. Last time we looked at verses 1, 2 and 3 and we considered being unlike the world. How are we unlike the world? And we consider that in those three verses. Well, we continue the theme of the world and this evening we're looking at these verses 4 to 6 under the heading Living in the world. Living in the world. First of all then, the prospects of life in the world. Verse 4. By humility and the fear of the Lord are riches and honor and life. Now success is the great theme of life in this world. Nothing succeeds like success and successful people are admired and they are surrounded with those who are failures wanting a little of that success for themselves. So important is success that even failures turn out to be successes as well. So we want to try to make everything to be successful and of course Failure turns out to be a great motivator, apparently, for success. Everybody wants success. And it is no surprise that writers have made money writing about success. How to be successful. How to turn your failure into success. So what then is success? What are our prospects in this world? I saw this verse, verse 4, written as a mathematical formula, which goes like this, H plus FL equals RH and L. So that's it as a mathematical formula. Sounds clever, but it's actually right. So Solomon's formula as it were, it begins with humility. And that is nowhere, I think, stated anywhere in the world amongst all the books on success that one begins with humility. Sometimes it's put as the working of success. They say, oh, they're so successful but they're all so humble and they're lowly or whatever. But Solomon doesn't tell you to wait until you're successful. Solomon says the only starting point in terms of our prospects in the world is to begin here with humility. Now this word humility is variously translated it's also translated as gentleness and meekness. In other words there is something likable about Christians. They are not vain, egotistical, flashy, nor arrogant. Humility, then, is a fundamental characteristic. So how can we actually give expression to it? How would you give expression to humility? We don't need to wait on your answer. The Bible already tells us the answer. And the answer is this. Esteeming others better than ourselves. That doesn't mean denying or dismissing whatever talents, gifts and abilities God has given us. And there can be a false humility. Where some who have been gifted say, oh I couldn't possibly do that. You may get somebody else more capable than I. Well, maybe there are more capable people around, but if they're not there and you're the only one there, then you're the one who should say, well, yes, I, I can do this. I do have the ability and have the right Whatever we have to do and whatever abilities that we have and don't have, it's all determined by God. So we begin with humility. That humility acknowledges well, this is the abilities that the Lord has given me, and I'm able to do this and that. As the Lord enables, so it is that. But we're not vain, egotistical, and there is a likableness about Christians in the workplace, in this world. Next, he says, the fear of the Lord. Humility without the fear of the Lord, simply turns a mere human disposition into niceness. It's the fear of the Lord which makes the difference. So it is humility, meekness, and gentleness that is followed by the fear of the Lord. So, life in this world, you say, well, what are your prospects in the world? say, well, I don't know what my prospects are. We'll come to that in a moment. But I do know this, the starting point for living in this world, for life in this world, is humility combined with the fear of the Lord. And this fear, of course, as you know, is reverence for God. To highly esteem God. In other words, to know God as he has revealed himself, to be full of admiration for God, and to know that we live in dependence upon God. To salivate over the sheer majesty and magnificence and grandeur and beauty of God. To know that he is judged. To reverence him to worship him. And so humility and the fear of the Lord turn out to be fruits of the cross. Only from the other side of the cross is there humility and the fear of the Lord. Remember, the Savior humbled himself and became obedient unto death, the death on. So we die to self and live on to God. So humility and fear, as it were, are on the other side of the cross, crucified with Christ. And the life that we now live, we live by that faith which the Son of God has given us. And then Solomon adds, tells us the humility Plus the fear of the Lord gives rise to riches, honor, and life. Now, in our culture, of course, they want to ditch H plus FL because they want the rest. Solomon says, forget about the rest if you haven't got humility and reverence. Now, these things riches, honor, life they come in all shapes. And sizes and dimensions and contacts. And you can see that pattern in the life of our Lord. From humiliation to exaltation. You have it there set out for you in Philippians 2, verses 6 to 11 who, being in the form of God, thought of no robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation took upon him the form of a servant and was made in the likeness of men and being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross, wherefore God also hath highly exalted him and given him a name which is above every name and so on. Now we can read those verses, but don't ignore the context so easy to love this section and forget about the context in which those verses are placed. And what is the context? It tells you in verse 5 let this mind be anew, which was also in Christ Jesus. The military, reverence. And in verse 12, wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So the context is the application of the cross to the lives of God's people. So it is indeed then only on the other side of the cross. And on the other side of the cross our prospects and life are riches, honor, and life. So Solomon says here's the formula. Here is the Christian way of living in this world. And in this context he doesn't define for you the riches and the honor of Because he's already done all of that. But we know that these things come in all different sizes, shapes, content, and contacts. And we must remove a materialistic mindset. Because there's more than one way to be rich. And there's more than one way to have honor. And more than one way to have life. So our prospects life in the world. And secondly, the trials of life in the world. Verse 5, thorns and snares are in the way of the froward. He that doth keep his soul shall be far from them. Now it is true that in this world you shall have trouble. That's a given. That, however, does not mean you cannot take steps to avoid some troubles. There is a legitimate avoidance. Firstly, what is in the way? He tells you thorns and snares are in the way. So there are hedges Bushes and plants, shall we say, which jag, rip, and tear your clothes and your skin? And in addition to all of that, there are holes and hollows and dips and traps that will throw you off balance and other things that will may do permanent damage to your feet and your legs. What does the pilgrim do? goes forward carefully with sickle, scythe, and bayonet, clearing the way to ensure their safety. Meanwhile, says Solomon, the forward, those who are crooked and perverse, they plunge on, believing in their own cleverness and invincibility. Thorns and snares are in the way of a fool. What is in the way? Thorns and snares. If you ever walk through a forest that's just been left unattended, the most wretched things grow up and if you brush against them they just scratch your skin or your clothes catch on a bit of barbed wire that you didn't know was there and tears a big hole in your brandy cold in the everything else. And the one who is careful checks out what's on front of us. This brings me to the second point, which says, He that doth keep his soul shall be far from them. Taking steps to avoid danger. Taking steps to avoid danger. In other words, we plan We survey and we proceed with caution. And when we see or anticipate a particular danger, we avoid it. You know, whenever two countries are at war, you know, they set minefields, but they don't tell anybody, and it's all covered over and looks good. And they hope that the enemy will just simply run into the field thinking, oh, it's all clear. And then they discover that a minefield. Well, that's what the fur would do, they run off. But the pilgrim, the lever surveys, checks, tests. As you know, as all farmers know, cows will protect their calves. So they put up a notice to all the tinies about and say, look, beware cows and calves in the field. But of course, the fro the clever tiny thinks, sure, cows are okay. So they jump into the field and they're walking across and suddenly they're faced with a herd of angry cows that will charge at them and trample them They want to protect their calves. And so when the townies escape, you know, they start complaining to the farmer and they say, I didn't think cows would do that. Did you not read the notice? (coughs) Solomon says, It isn't wrong. avoid the thorns and the snares. Don't be a fool. Don't tempt providence, he says. And this, of course, is exactly what Satan tempted Christ with. He wanted the Savior to sin by tempting providence. And look at how cleverly he put it in Matthew 4. He says, If thou be the Son of God, Cast thyself down, for it is written, he had a text to back up his, his temptation. He shall give his angels charge concerning me, and in their hands they shall bear thee up, lest at any time thy dash thy foot against the stone. Satan had a text of scripture, as he wanted the Lord to tempt Robert. Of course, Satan is conveniently ignoring that one should not tempt problems or make foolish deductions from Scripture. So, you know, you're 18, you get on a Harley-Davidson motorbike that can do not to 90 in about two seconds. You've just passed your test, so you have a clue how to handle it. But you're so brilliant, you've got your driver's license, you put her in the gear, you rev her up, you take off your no crash helmet, and off you go. And before you know what you're doing, 120, and then you come to a hairpin bend, and that's it. You can't take the corner and crash into a tree or whatever's on the other side of the ditch. Tempting problem. Believer takes steps to avoid danger. That's not a sin. That is a model of the Christian living in this world. Dealing with the trials of life. The difficulties of life. We shall avoid dangers. And thirdly, the offspring of life in this world, verse 6. Train up a child in the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. Now we know not everyone marries, and not everyone married has children. And that's important, those qualifications. Not everyone married, and not everyone married has children. Couples get married, and there's an assumption and all that, we're going to have children. There's no guarantee. Now, often when believers read this verse, in fact, I'm pretty confident saying that 99 times out of 100, it is the positive that is taken. But the verse is actually double-sided. There's a positive and a negative. In other words, there's a dark side to this verse, as well as a bright side. And we are to look in the bright as well as the dark. We're not to ignore the dark side because we look at the bright side. Well, first of all, what's the dark side? Well, the dark side is very sad. Those parents who raise their children on the broad road in a life of sin and wickedness, of blasphemy and depravity, simply produce a mirror image of themselves. And unless grace intervenes, they will live and die in their sin as their parents live and die in their sin and perhaps even their grandparents live and die in their sin. Because Exodus 20 and verse 5, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third gener- uh, the third and fourth generation of them that hit me. The, the part then that hit me refers to fathers. The first generation. So the first generation that hates God, that generation raises their children in the same life of sin, and their grandchildren are raised in a life of sin unless grace intervenes. Then each generation following the path of wickedness. This is why it is so important. That when a couple do get married, and the problems of children, that they bring them up in the ways of the Lord. Because if they don't, well that lineage, that line, will follow the path of wickedness. So there's a dark side to this that we simply cannot ignore. And we have to recognize And it's not being faithful when preachers just look on the bright side of it. Preachers must look at the dark side and say to all within their hearing, you are a sinner. The Lord of problems gives you a husband and a wife and in kindness gives you children. You will raise your children in the same path of sin as yourself. And if you live and die in your sin, it may be, and that's grace you will die in your sin, and your children's children will live and die in their sin. For so the sins of the fathers, carry on. Third and fourth generation. Four generations before you. All raised in sin. All raised in the same hatred of God. But then secondly, the bright side. The bright side is the opposite of the dark side. Parents who raise their children in a narrow way in honoring God and following the Savior and worship and learning the scripture, they rejoice when they see their children and their children's children following the Lord. Now this is not an absolute guarantee that our children and our children's children will all walk in the ways of the Lord. But it is certainly saying that that pattern of raising them in the ways of the Lord will be so ingrained within them that they will carry on. And they will raise their children in the same way. But of course unless grace intervenes eventually the pattern will die out, won't it? And we've seen that in some generations. You know, there are some places, they've just lost the habit of going to church. And they've started either not going to church at all, or going out shopping or whatever. And their children are being raised in that environment, thinking there's no need to go to worship God. So they raise their children in the ways of the Lord, but they do not try to make their children a clone of themselves. Sometimes we parents can be foolish, and uh, much as we might like our children to be like ourselves, identical in every way, they can't be, they won't be. And if we try to live our lives through them, then they will end up miserable. In fact, they may end up disliking you in some way. But what we do want to ensure, they don't repeat our sins, our faults, and our mistakes. So we don't want a clone of us. We don't want them doing all the mistakes and committing all the sins and having all the faults that we ourselves have. Possessed, added But well, as Christians, we trust the work of the Holy Spirit to lead them in paths of righteousness and godliness. So we bring them up in the ways of the Lord. And we pray that the Holy Spirit will work in their little lives and will change their hearts so that they will follow the word. And as long as that is happening, we must rest content with that. <coughs> that they're in the narrow way, following the Savior, even if they're not a clone of their parents. But no doubt there will be similarities. You know the old phrase, tip of the old wall. What a horror that can be somehow with a dreadful prospect, so we don't want it all the time, do we? So in this wonderful verse, the offspring of life in the world. You see how practical the word of God is. Think as Christians, how do we live in the world? What's it like living in the world? But he tells you. Let's consider your prospects, your whole future. What's going to happen in your life from now on? Avoiding dangers. Don't have problems. And what if there's children come along? What do we do? These children come and they frighten us and say, well, what do we do with these things? You know, they're so delicate. There. Well, bring them up in the ways of the Lord. That's what we do. Or sometimes, children. But they all doesn't always happen. No matter what our culture says. It doesn't always happen. The time it does. They're like a bit of elbow room. You might say, well, I don't like that way. Well, we bring them to the Lord. We ask that the Lord that will work in their hearts that they will love the ways of the Savior. Life in the world. Living in the world. Living in this world is not something we should fear. Why not? Because we've got problems to guide us to correct our steps. May the Lord bless these words.